Hi everybody, my name is Chris. I'm part of the 530 congregation and I'm going to be reading the Bible from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37 and verses 1 to 14. If you'd like to follow along, please pick up a Bible and I'll give you a few moments to find the passage. Ezekiel, chapter 37. And I'll begin reading from verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Hi, everyone. I'm Anna Burke. The second Bible reading today is John chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. 
Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love the story of the young boy from the hill country who saw the ocean for the first time, and he was just in awe at its vastness. He waded in the waves. He was enjoying the tides. He, he longed for his friends back in the hill country to see the ocean. And so he grabbed a jam jar and he dipped it in the ocean. He closed the lid and he took that jar back up to the mountains. It's laughable because that is just a tiny, tiny glimpse of how majestic the ocean is. And friends, it feels like that with the Holy Spirit. Seven short sermons on the Holy Spirit is just a tiny glimpse of his vastness, his might, his majesty. So can I encourage you to, to read widely, open the scriptures for yourselves and open yourselves up for the work of the Spirit? But today our topic is this, born of the Spirit. The Spirit's work in salvation, the Spirit's work in our conversion, the Spirit breathing new life, the Spirit opening our blind eyes and softening our heart hearts and showing us Jesus. It's what we say in the Nicene Creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, the one who brings new life. If you're a Christian here today, you know your, your life is a bit like a caterpillar. You know, there's ugly, uh, crawling creatures that, that crawl around on leaves, and one day they find a nice leaf and they take a nap, and it just suddenly happens. They can't explain it. It's like this irresistible power and force. And suddenly, they're no longer a crawling caterpillar, but a beautiful butterfly. No longer confined to a leaf, but they, are, they are, have this freedom and this new perspective as they look at the earth. How does that caterpillar feel? Stunned at what just happened to me? Or thrilled because they've got a new identity and a new freedom? And humble because they did nothing? And if you're a Christian, a born-again Christian, that is your story. You did nothing, and the Spirit did everything. 
He took you from misery to mercy, from death to life. You are born again by the power of the Spirit. As a pastor, I have the privilege of seeing the Spirit's work in people, bringing total transformation. The lady who felt so unloved, and the Spirit showed her the unconditional love of Christ. The man who had this spiritual awakening, he couldn't stop reading his Bible. That was a spirit at work in him. Uh, the, the woman who was very skeptical, she was a reluctant convert. She had all these theological roadblocks, but bit by bit, the spirit chipped away, and now she's a full-on follower of Jesus. Uh, the man who sat in church for years, masquerading as a Christian, and one day in a sermon, the spirit of God opened his eyes, and he realized he was not born again. For me, it was 1990. There was no emptiness, no crisis. Just over two long years, the Spirit chipped away and showed me uh, the purpose and, and the pardon that Jesus brings. So today we look at the work of the Spirit in conversion. Because if you've been born again, that was the work of the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no believers and no church, and every believer is a walking miracle. So two points today. Here's the first one. The Spirit gives new life. The Spirit gives new life. He breathes new life into dead souls. Turn back to Ezekiel 37. We meet a man called Ezekiel. His name means God strengthens. He's a prophet to the exiles, and the powerful hand of the Lord was on him, verse 1. And God takes him and shows him things from his perspective. He shows him a valley of dry bones, dry dead, lifeless bones. Uh, it's a vivid picture of Israel who are dead and spiritually lifeless. And God asks him, verse 3, Son of man, can, can these bones live? And the answer is no, they're dead. But Ezekiel knows better than that and says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. So first in verses 4 to 6, God says, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. And so Ezekiel preaches the word of the Lord, and these dry bones, they reassemble to form skeletons. They have skin on. They hear the word of the Lord, and it's like God recreates them, just like God created through his word at the beginning. But at this point, they're not living bones. Verse 8 says this, there is no breath in them, no spirit in them. And that's why in verse 9, God says prophesy to the breath or the spirit. It's the same word. He's saying without the spirit of God in them, they're just corpses. They need the spirit to breathe new life, just like the spirit breathed life into that first man, Adam. And first, I do wonder whether this is a picture of many, many church goers. Oh, they hear the word of the Lord. They understand the word of the Lord, but the Spirit of God is not in them. They haven't yet been born again. That's verse 14. I will put my Spirit in you, and you will live. You know those stories of the great revival? When the word of God was preached, the Spirit of God took that word and it cut people to the core. It brought them to their knees in repentance and faith. It's like Peter's first sermon. 
in the book of Acts. There was nothing spectacular about that particular sermon, but the Spirit of God came in power and took the Word of God. And 3,000 people said, what must I do to be saved? It's miraculous. It's mysterious. That is John chapter 3. Turn me to John chapter 3. And Jesus is talking to a man called Nicodemus. And we're told in verse 1, he's a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he's a religious man. He knows his Bible. He fasts. He prays. He's interested in Jesus in verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. We know you're a good man. But Jesus' words are quite harsh in verse 3. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He says it's like going to a job interview and they say, I'm sorry, you've got to come back as a completely different person. And Nicodemus is understandably confused in verse 4. He says, Jesus, what do you mean? And Jesus explains that in verse 6, he says, I'm talking about the spirit, spiritual rebirth. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. He's saying everybody is physically born and everybody needs a spiritual rebirth. We all need this new life, this new freedom, and it's mysterious. I love Jesus' analogy in verse 8. It's just brilliant. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He says, the Spirit is just like the wind. You know, those cyclones that come through Queensland, that mighty rushing wind, and you can't stop it and you can't predict it. So after the hurricane has blown through, there are some houses that bore the full force of the wind. And in the same street, some houses are totally untouched. Same as the work of the Spirit. You have a bunch of people doing Alpha or Christianity Explored. They're hearing the same talks in the same discussion groups. And one person is cut to the core and says, woe is me. And the other person says, yeah, whatever. One person is completely born again and transformed, and the other just is completely oblivious. And there is no predicting who the Spirit is going to work on. You know, you cannot predict who the Spirit is going to change. Please don't think you know who God is going to save because you don't. Please don't think you know who God is going to bring to new birth because you don't. Nicodemus is stunned. He says, verse 9, how can this be? I don't understand it. And Jesus said, well, you should understand it, verse 10, because you're Israel's teacher. You've read the Old Testament. You've heard about Ezekiel and the Spirit breathing life into these dry bones, but you don't understand it, he says, because you're just religious, but you're not regenerate. So, friends, how does the Spirit give new life? Well, he chases us. He chases us. He pursues us. He prods us. He's a bit like a, a stone in the shoe. He keeps making you feel uncomfortable. He chased a man called Francis Thompson. Francis was a, a medical student who got addicted to opium. He dropped out of college and his life spiraled downwards. But the spirit chased him. 
and pursued him and prodded him. And he wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. The Hound of Heaven to describe the pursuing work of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful, isn't it? The poem says, Now I ran away from God, but God kept coming after me. I was wandering, but God was wooing me. And I hope you know that the Holy Spirit was chasing you before you got saved. When you suddenly started to read the Bible, that was the Spirit. When you started to understand spiritual things, that is the Spirit. You did not wake up one morning and have this interest in Jesus. The Spirit was working on you. He just wasn't in you yet. So what was he doing? He was hanging around, making you feel, feel really, really bad so you could see how glorious Jesus is. He was exposing all the emptiness and the futility of all the things you've pursued in life, and he was showing you how magnificent Jesus was. See, the Spirit's work is not just to chase, but he convicts. He convicts you. That's the word used in John 16 by the Lord Jesus Christ. Such an important verse. John 16, verse 8, when he, that is the Spirit, when the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict people about sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's like the Spirit clears the mists away from our eyes so we can see clearly. Now, most often that is through the Word of God, sometimes through the people of God, and sometimes through an extraordinary event of God. But it's like your eyes are open to the, the darkness of your sin and the glories of Christ. Look what Jesus says, John 16, verse 9, about sin. Because people do not believe in me. So the Spirit's job is to convince people that they are sinners. Before they need a saviour, they've got to understand they're a sinner. Jesus said it's a sick who needs a doctor. And notice that word in verse 8 is the word sin, not sins. The sins are the, the outworkings, you know, the, the lies and the greed and the pride and the selfishness. But the sin is that heart attitude that says, I don't believe in God, I don't need God, I don't want God. And the Spirit shines a light and says, no, God exists and you are not perfect and you've got a problem. And the Spirit kind of makes us feel guilty. But that's his job, not your job. Christian friend, do not think it's your job to convict people of their sin. When we try to do that, we just condemn people. But the Spirit works in us to say, no, I'm not perfect. And then he convicts us of the righteousness in verse 10, about righteousness because I, Jesus, am going to the Father. So the Spirit shines this light onto Jesus so that you begin to understand that Jesus really is righteous, that he really was the, the perfect, blameless, sinless man, righteous in everything, word and deed. The Spirit helps you believe that he is perfect and you are not, that the bar is 100%. And suddenly all your righteous deeds are just filthy rags. It's really humbling, you know, when you see how glorious Jesus is. Remember in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw the perfection, the holiness of God, he did not say, wow is me. He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. 
So the Spirit convicts us that I am not righteous, but Jesus is righteous. And then suddenly the cross of Jesus makes total sense. Because at the cross of Jesus, the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ, took on our unrighteousness, our sin, so that we might become righteous in God's sight. That's what Jesus tries to explain to Nicodemus in John 3. He explains how just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. It's that bizarre story when God sends snakes in the Old Testament. And God says to Moses, put a bronze snake on a pole, and anybody who just looks up at the bronze snake will be saved. And it's so simple. Same with the cross of Christ. The righteous one hanging on the tree. If you just look up to him and believe in him, you'll be saved. Everyone will be saved who believes in Jesus. And the Spirit convicts us of that. And then verse 11, he convicts us of, of judgment. Verse 11, about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So the Spirit opens our eyes to judgment day, to that last day when we stand before our maker and give an account. And he opens our eyes to the fact that we live in a spiritual world and there is a devil and the devil has spent our entire lives trying to trick us and deceive us into thinking that God does not exist and this world is all that there is. And then we see at the cross of Christ, victory, victory over the devil, victory over sin, death and the devil. That's the miraculous work of the Spirit. And again, it's all his job, not yours. As, we, as I'm speaking now, one person saying, I don't understand this. Yeah, whatever. But for other people, the Spirit's at work right now to convict you. So he chases us, he convicts us, and then he changes us. He regenerates us, he recreates us. A chaplain was preaching on John 3, and he said this, you must be born again. It's not about turning over a new leaf, but having a new life. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you've never been born again. Perhaps the Spirit is convicting you right now. In the front row sat a man who came up to the preacher and said this. I've been ordained for 30 years. I'm the archdeacon of this diocese. But today God has found me out. I'm trusting in my efforts, my abilities, my good works, my church going and I need to be born again. And maybe that's you listening right now. Maybe the Spirit is prompting you and chasing you and is convicting you right now that you're a sinner in need of a righteous Savior. Maybe he's opened your eyes to how glorious Jesus is. And if that is you right now, please don't miss this moment. It's very simple. You just say an ABC prayer, admit your sins, believe in Jesus, and come to him asking for forgiveness. If you click this button right now, someone would love to pray with you. But I need to ask you, have you been born again personally? When was that? If you have, praise God. Praise God. Praise for the work of the Spirit. You are a walking miracle. It's so humbling because you did nothing to earn your salvation. The Spirit did it all. And when you grasp that, it rids you of pride and arrogance there's no one inferior, no one superior, all equal in God's sight. 
And when you grasp it's the Spirit's work, it is so, so liberating. See, yes, we are called to shine like stars in this universe. And yes, we are called to make the most of every opportunity to preach the gospel. And yes, we're called to talk about Jesus. But you know what? You can't convert anybody. It's the Spirit's work to convert people, not yours. We're called to pray and pray and pray. So who are you praying for right now? Who are you praying for the Spirit at work to open their eyes to Jesus? Who are you going to invite to Alpha on Tuesday night? What a wonderful opportunity for the Spirit to work as the Word of God goes out. It's so humbling. It's so liberating. It's all the Spirit's work. It's not yours. So the Spirit gives life. And then much more briefly, the Spirit guarantees new life. He guarantees new life. I remember about six months after I became a Christian, I went to the person who was discipling me and I said, I'm so confused. I, I'm still struggling with, with greed and with bitterness and with jealousy and with pride. Am I really a Christian? Am I really born again? It's a question we all grapple with. We all feel a failure. And I need you to understand the Spirit not only gives life, but he guarantees life. He assures me that I really am born of the Spirit. It's a wonderful work of the Spirit. Listen to these two verses. Ephesians 1, verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him, that is in Christ, marked with a seal, a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Same with 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I love that about the spirit. He assures us, he guarantees us. He's called a seal and a deposit. He seals us as a picture of security and ownership. Sealing is a picture you're safe, you are spiritually safe, you're spiritually protected. You know how Nebuchadnezzar sealed Daniel into the lion's den so he died, but God sealed him in to protect him. Pilate sealed Jesus into the tomb, but God sealed him in to, to show his extraordinary power. That's God's seal on us. It's his hand of power, his hand of protection. He's saying to us, because I've sealed you, nothing can touch you spiritually. So encouraging when you are struggling, when you are doubting, when you feel weak, the Spirit reminds you that nothing can snatch you from God's hand. A seal is a picture of safety, security, and of ownership. You know, a farmer seals his sheep. He stamps and says, that is mine. The king seals the letter to say, that is my letter. The father has a birth certificate to say, that is my child. They belong to me. That's what the Spirit of God does in us. He reminds us that we are children of God. He reminds us that we are forgiven, we're redeemed, we're chosen, we're adopted, and we can say, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. So the Spirit seals us. And he guarantees a deposit. That's the word used, a deposit, 2 Corinthians 1, guaranteeing what is to come. And that word deposit is 
It's a business term. You put a deposit on a car, a down payment. Say it now belongs to you, and you get a glimpse, a glimpse of what it's going to be like. That's the work of the Spirit. It's so glorious. Yes, we have been redeemed. We will be redeemed. But in the here and now, as we live this life, the Spirit is our deposit. It gives us a glimpse, a foretaste, a foretaste of the glory to come. You ever experienced that? You're standing in church and you're worshipping God with other believers. You get a glimpse of glory. You're walking past the harbour. You see his magical creation. You get a glimpse of glory. When you gather together and you see people who are forgiving each other, it's a glimpse of glory. When you're enjoying that prayer life, that intimacy with God, that moment with God, it's a glimpse of glory because you're going to see him face to face. When you see Christians acting kindly and selflessly, or when you have that peace that passes understanding, it's a glimpse of glory. And when you've been sick and you're healed, that joy it reminds you of that glimpse of glory on that last day with those resurrection bodies where there's no sickness, no sadness, no pain, no suffering. And praise God that he gives us his spirit as a deposit, as a foretaste. So we can just taste, just taste how good heaven is going to be. So you may feel a failure, and you may feel weak, and you may feel doubtful. But it's not about how you feel. It's the Spirit who saves you and the Spirit who seals you. The Spirit who gives new life and the Spirit who guarantees new life. So as the Creed says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Amen.